The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, good morning. My name is Darren Smith, senior pastor here at Tower View Baptist Church. It's good to have you with us this morning as we are going through our time of the study of God's Word. And we look forward for you to join us. We really do appreciate you coming alongside of us and being here with us. Our website is towerviewkc.com, towerviewkc.com. We are in the northland of Kansas City, right by the multicolored World of Fun Water Tower. Actually kind of backs up to our back lot here in Kansas City. Well, we have been finishing over the last several weeks the Summer of Psalms. And now that we're officially, at least by the calendar, inside the time of fall or autumn here in Kansas City, Missouri, we wanted to talk about a topical sermon. And a topical sermon is just a sermon that is kind of a one-off. It's a standalone sermon where we talk about a topic without necessarily spending a lot of time on it. And today we're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper, communion, as you may know it. And in these days of COVID, it's very unusual. Uh, there's been debates, should you have online communion or not communion at all? And as we are partaking this morning in person, we'll be taking communion at the close of our service in person here at our church. But this morning, we wanted to look at what is the Lord's Supper, some key truths about it. And that's our sermon title, some key truths about the Lord's Supper. We'll be in First Corinthians. 11, 17 through 34. 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34. Well, like most churches, if you go to any given church before COVID, during COVID, or after COVID, we're going to look at a few of the church members as they look from the outside. You know, there are some members who come in, you might call one Mary, who see she seems happy as she smiles at various friends as they come to church. But as she gets ready to take the Lord's Supper, she sees Linda across the way. And the two women aren't talking since they had a uh, falling out a couple uh, months ago. And, 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 but they both kind of look at each other and they have the same thought. They call, she calls herself a Christian. What a hypocrite. What a phony. Or perhaps there's another member of a fictitious church named Jerry Jones. No, not the owner of the Cowboys, Dallas Cowboys, who serves on the deacon board. He's active in the men's ministry. He teaches a Sunday school class. He's there every time the doors are open. I mean, Jerry is a real servant, and if you need anything done in the church, who do you call? You call Jerry, and he's helped out everywhere, and everyone calls him Old Faithful. He's kind of the church member everyone wants to have and is looking for, or is he? But beneath all the frenzies of activities is a past during his time in the service where Jerry does not want anyone to know about it. His wife doesn't even know about it. And he tries to love the Lord back by doing activities because, well, he really doesn't get along with his wife anyway, so uh, why, why try? But there's also James, who's a single young man who's fighting a losing battle with images online. He's not alone. He's one of the many and single married men within the church who are defeated by that plague. And these are just some of the examples, just some examples of fictional people in a church. These aren't real people, but really are they? 
Because there were, in the church at Corinth, as we talk about the Lord's Supper, there were people at the church of Corinth who had various factions among them. They were vying for, for, for attention. They were vying for authority. Some were involved in sexual immorality. Some had, had drinking problems. While the church had an influence on the pagan city, the Las Vegas of the time, Corinth, the reality was the city had quite an influence on the church. And the early church had no church buildings. And so on Sunday evenings, the church would gather, usually at a rich person's home. And they would do what was called a pot, what we would call a potluck or a love feast. And the problem in Corinth was that wealthy members got there first. And they had all their great dinners, all their wonderful food, and gorged themselves. And so when the other Christians of the church, who were the slave and the working class of the time, came to join together for the Lord's Supper and fellowship around the risen Lord, they didn't have any food. And even worse, the rich members of Corinth would get so drunk that they would not be unable to partake in the Lord's Supper. And so as a result, they completely missed the significance and purpose of the Lord's Supper. And some of the members were suffering, as Paul will tell us, from severe discipline from the Lord for their irreverence. And that's the background for our text today. As we look at this question, this standalone sermon, what is the Lord's Supper? And Paul writes to correct these injustices as it were. And that, friends, that is our big idea today. It's very simple, and I've written this down for clarity, is that the Lord's Supper is the victory cry of the church. We are celebrating the victory, Christ's victory over death and looking forward to his ultimate return. We should be serious, but we should not be somber. We don't want to turn the Lord's Supper into a funeral service. It's a time of joy. And so the original Lord's Supper was a Passover meal where Jesus adapted and applied the meaning of that feast to himself. And the idea is that just as Israel was delivered from the death of their firstborn and, 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 and slavery to Pharaoh through the blood of the Passover lamb, so too we are spared by God's judgment and slavery to sin by the death of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And so in our text today, we're going to look at this because this is such an important topic. We have to nail this down, not just for our sakes to know knowledge, but we have to nail it down because it impacts so much of what we do. And maybe you're watching this and you're not you know, you're not a member of Tower View or you're not a, uh, a regular attender of our church. And your church has not done the Lord's Supper in some time because of the COVID crisis we're in. And that's, that's okay. But today, no matter who you are, if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian, may the gospel be clear as we go through this time. And what I want to do is just break this up in, a, in kind of a different format. It's a topical sermon, but kind of a different format than we've done before. Just some questions about the Lord's Supper. You know, every good reporter is told to ask the who, what, when, where, how, and why. And we're going to try and do most of those as we investigate this text this morning. But if you have your Bible, I want to read with you in full uh, 1 Corinthians 17 all the way down to verse 32. 1 Corinthians 17, uh, excuse me, 11, 17 through 32. This is God's word. Hear it today as we read. But in the following instructions, Paul writes, I don't commend you because you've come together and you've come together. It is not for the better, but for the worse. First Corinthians eleven eighteen. for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. 
What, do you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that on the night the Lord Jesus, when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, verse 31, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so we may not be condemned along with the world. May God bless the reading of his word. Friend, this morning as we are gathering around our times, and some of you are at home, and we thank you for joining us, we want to look at what is the Lord's Supper, why it's important to us, and why it's necessary for us to partake of it as Christians, even in days like COVID. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for bringing us closer to you, Father, even through a computer screen. And Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word together. Father, for many, this will be a familiar topic. And you tell Peter in his second Peter that as he wrote to those exiled Christians, Lord, scattered Christians, that it didn't bother him to write the same things again. Father, how often we remind our kids and even ourselves of the most basic truths of life that we forget in the midst of all the problems of life. So, Lord, as we go through this time, may you give us great wisdom. But I also pray for those watching who are not Christian. Father, that they would come to know the truth of the gospel found only in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray these things. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, I'm going to start my, my watch here. I should have already done this, but here we go. Keep myself on task. So the first question about the Lord's Supper is this. Who should participate in the Lord's Supper? So who should participate in the Lord's Supper? First off, the Lord's Supper, according to 1 Corinthians, we just read, is for believers, for Christians, for those who partake. They share in the work of Christ. And Jesus obviously shared his meal with, with his followers. And I'll remind you, if it's been a, a while since you thought of this, Judas actually exited out. Judas, the non-believer, exited out of the Last Supper uh, before Jesus instituted it. And so the Lord's Supper is done all throughout the scriptures as a time for the church to gather together. In fact, if you look back at 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16, you'll see this. He says in verse 16, he says, is it not, excuse me, is it not the cup of blessing that we bless? Is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? So we are identified only by being followers of Jesus Christ when we partake of the Lord's Supper. That's what is symbolized as the fact that we do this only in the context of the local church. So as believers, we share in the work of Christ as we partake in the Lord's Supper. And those who've trusted in Christ, who've, who've repented and believed in the gospel, have every right to do this. And, and, and at this point, I would even add to take this a step further. 
And I think this, and this is what our Baptist faith and message says, is that only baptized believers should celebrate the Lord's Supper. And the reasoning here is fairly simple. It goes like this. You know, baptism could be compared to a wedding ceremony. It's something that you do one time. It's a one-time baptism. But the Lord's Supper, you might say, is compared to an anniversary, where though we do it more often than, than a birthday or an anniversary, more than once a year, it's something that commemorates. It would make no sense to have an anniversary without a wedding. And so if baptism identifies you with Christ in the front door, then why would we not have continual identification with Christ through what he gave us in the Lord's Supper? And so, well, what about people who don't know Christ, Pastor? What about those who, who've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior? Well, what would we say to that? Well, if you're an unbeliever watching this, there is a difference. Believers share in the work of Christ, in remembrance of Christ, as we partake in the Lord's Supper. And unbelievers see the work of Christ as we, they watch us take the Lord's Supper. So if you're, if you're not a Christian and you're watching this, I just want to encourage you, as, as, as the Lord's Supper is explained today, to really listen. The Lord's Supper is only for those who have repented and trusted in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. But if you've never trusted in Christ, you need to do that today. And we'll talk more about that later. But if you're, if you're ready to do that, if you have questions and, and you're not there, I would invite you, at, at, wherever you are, when the Lord's Supper, you partake of that again, to let that pass by you. In fact, Paul says in those verses that judgment is on you if you partake in an unworthy manner. Now, non-Christian, this may seem harsh. It may seem inhospitable. But the clear teaching of Scripture is, is that if you're here today, if you're watching online and wherever you are, and you're not united with Christ, if you've not trusted Him for salvation, if you've not submitted your life to Him, if you've not made Him Lord and Savior of your life by His grace, to be King over you, it's not a meal that you're participating in. In fact, only those who are Christian are called to do it. So I want to be clear on this, and as blunt as possible, because it matters. It doesn't matter how many times you've been in church, non-Christian friend. It doesn't matter how many times you've watched our videos. Thank you for doing that. It doesn't matter how many times you've taken, you know, the Lord's Supper at an appropriate time. It doesn't matter who you are or what you want to communicate to the people around you. If you've not trusted Christ for salvation and submitted to Him as Lord of your life, then the meal of the Lord's Supper is not for you. It's a meal that you are to observe but you're to watch as Christians observe it. So who's to take the Lord's Supper? It is those who believe in Jesus Christ, bar none. And we would even go further as Christians, we would say as baptized believers. And so where, so who should partake? It is of Christians alone, of Christians alone. So that's the who, but where should we have the Lord's Supper? You know, Paul, as we read that scripture in 1 Corinthians 11, doesn't tell us specifically a location but he does say this. It's this simple. The only requirement we have for the Lord's Supper is in the context of the local gathering of the church. And you see that in verse 18. He says uh, very clearly here, he says in verse 18, when you gather together, and you'll see that several times in verses 18. You'll see it again in verse 20. He goes on to say, when you come together, in verse 33, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. And so... The, the where of the Lord's Supper is always together. It's always in community. It's always in the, the, the context of being together, a corporate 
body. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. 29, anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment upon himself. And so there's a lot of people who believe that's a specific reference to the church, that you don't eat this meal recognizing the body of Christ, which is part of what Paul's addressing. But regardless, though, the Lord's Supper is never to be a private thing. And what I'm going to say may confuse some of you because you've seen it done. Maybe you've done it yourself or been a part of this yourself. The Lord's Supper is not something we do on our own. We don't take the Lord's Supper at home in our bathroom in our PJs or in the prayer closet or in our quiet time. The Lord's Supper, the wear of the Lord's Supper is something we do in the gathering of the local church when we come together. It's a corporate communal celebration of something we do together. And isn't that what the body of Christ is, the church itself? We are comprised of all sorts of people of all walks of life, all sorts of opinions, all sorts of things. But the one thing that brings us together is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the where of the Lord's Supper is simple. It's when we are gathered together. So weddings, so private retreats, so small groups, so these things, we have to be very, very careful. Paul was writing in 1 Corinthians about the where of the Lord's Supper to those gathered in the local church. And so where should we have the Lord's Supper? The only requirement is the gathering of the local church. Now you say, well, Darren, I have friends that, you know, back in March and April, maybe even now, are taking the Lord's Supper online. Well, friend, I would argue that you, there, there, there are times for extraordinary means. But as often as possible, the Lord calls us to gather in the local church. That's what it's all about. Let me remind you, Christian, that the church is not meant to be a cavalier sort of thing. You and Jesus ain't got your own thing going. He saved you. He's redeemed you. He's your Lord. But you are not a church unto yourselves. The church is comprised of baptized believers led by pastor elders called to shepherd over them. That God has instituted them. The old dead guy said that a church was one that rightly administered the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and practiced church discipline and where the preaching of the word and the gospel was shared. So be very careful. Do not de-emphasize what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. The where of the Lord's Supper is together. This is why it's dangerous to have kids taking the Lord's Supper off in kids' church by themselves. This is why as often as possible, the Lord's Supper is instituted at the biggest gathering, the most important gathering of the week, which is during the Lord's time, which is, of course, during the time of the Lord's Day worship. So the who, it's believers, the where, it's in the context of the local church. And now the when. When should we have the Lord's Supper? I mean, this, this is kind of a very interesting question. When should you have the Lord's Supper? Well, the next question is when. And the scripture really doesn't say. The scripture doesn't give us a command. The only thing we have in these verses is what we just read in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. I want you to see this and hear this. Paul says, in the same way also, he, that's Jesus, took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Some translations here say whenever you drink it or wherever you eat it. There are other translations say as often or, or as often as you eat it. And there's really more true to the original New Testament is saying here. 
There's a picture of something that believers did regularly. You know, as often you're getting together, so as often as you eat the bread, drink the cup. So the only command that we see in Scripture that we have is that we observe the Lord's Supper. We observe the Lord's Supper often. It's a regular, normal practice of the New Testament church and of its believers. And we're, we're commanded to do that. Now, someone may say, well, well, what about weekly? I mean, Pastor, we come from a tradition, perhaps, where weekly Lord's Supper gatherings were a thing. And this is the point where I, as a pastor of the body, uh, need to confess and repent to some degree here, even in the COVID time, because we have not observed the Lord's Supper as often. We've waited almost six months, almost seven months, including the, the COVID time, to partake. And I take responsibility for that. We've not observed it as often, and as a result, we've, we've been out of line, I think, to a degree with what Scripture says. I say to a degree because I think the Lord understands the situations we're in. And I want to ask your forgiveness for that, church. I'm not going to, point out, going to point where I say this morning, commit, that we're going to do this weekly, but we're going to observe the suffer often. Right now it's monthly. It's what the Scripture teaches. And this is the fundamental part of New Testament worship. It's only active worship that we have prescribed instructions for in the New Testament. And as a result, we have to place a high priority in coming together for the Lord's Supper. So I'll appreciate your forgiveness in that. Look forward to seeing how that plays out in the context of our family as a church as we move forward. So the who is believers, the where is in the context of the church, the when is, is, is it's a regular normal practice. But what about the how? How should we understand Lord's Supper? This is for, you know, as I was preparing this, this probably should have been the first point, but I think most of us understand it. So I just want to get into this. So how should we understand the Lord's Supper? Well, how should we understand it? Well, first off, there's a traditional misunderstanding that the Lord's Supper is, is a change of substance, that, that something um, divine or even magical perhaps happens in the Lord's Supper. And a change in substance, some argue, is a change in salvation. The $2, the $2 million theological word here is transubstantiation. Transubstantiation. You can take that one to the bank and press your friends. But I didn't put that as, a, as, a, as something for you to take in. You can just hear this one. You don't need to write it down. You don't need to take notes of it. But this is the traditional Catholic view, Roman Catholic understanding of the Lord's Supper. It wasn't adopted until about the 13th century, but this is something I in no way want to caricature or misrepresent, and I have no desire to misrepresent the Catholic Church on the teaching, but you need to understand this. The official Roman Catholic teaching of the Lord's Supper is that there's a change of substance where the bread and wine actually become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The bread literally becomes Jesus' flesh, and the, the wine or the drink they partake in literally becomes the blood. And this is one reason that for centuries, people, parishioners, did not even participate in drinking from the cup. Because only the priest would drink, because if the cup were to spill, if someone were to mishandle that, literally, they would spill the blood of Christ. And so the risk frankly, it was too great. So for many years, that's why there was, there was no sharing of the supper except with the priests in the Catholic Church. Friends, I want to be very clear here, and this is a big difference. I'm going to take a moment to explain this. The Catholic Church teaches that, and I'm quoting this from the, the, uh, the uh, uh, catechism here, it says, to receive communion is to receive Christ. To receive communion is to receive Christ. 
Communion, the catechism says, the Catholic catechism says, with the body of Christ increases one's union and forgives his venial sins and preserves him from grave sins. Friends, our Catholic friends say that the Lord's Supper literally forgives sins, that you take the meal, you receive Christ, and you obtain forgiveness. There is forgiveness, they argue, that is attained in this, and it is the Eucharist is offered as a reparation for the sins for the living and the dead. Friends, there is a theological word for that. I don't mean this in any negative way, but we have to be clear. The theological word for that is called hogwash, H-O-G-W-A-S-H. This is what the Reformation was all about. And this is why it's important, Christian, for us to talk about these topics. Because in a day where so many people are divided, it's so easy to say, well, this isn't a big deal. In fact, it is. This is such a big deal that Jesus himself was so clear on this that we need to be ultra clear on it as well. We want to do it gracefully. We want to do it with humility and patience, but with clarity all the same. And this is why the reformers said, no, we don't do anything to receive Christ. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that you receive Christ. It's not something that we do to take these steps to be forgiven of our sin. It's not grace infused to us. No, we trust Christ. And in the 1550s, the Catholic Church came back and said this in response. They said, quote, at the Council of Trent, section 6, canon 9, If anyone says that by faith alone a sinner is justified, so as to mean nothing else is required to cooperate to obtain the grace of justification, let him be anathema. In other words, if you do not take the Lord's Supper in the way the Catholic Church prescribes, then let you be anathema. Friends, I want us to realize what we're doing here in the Lord's Supper. It's not about obtaining grace. Grace is grace because it's not obtainable. It's nothing you can do. You don't earn it. You don't do anything to receive it. It's given by God himself. Grace is a gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. That's why it's called grace. It's given freely. That's why God ordained or set up the means of grace. And it's because it doesn't involve what we do. It is faith in what Christ has done once and for all on that cross. When in John 19, 30, he said, it is finished. It is done. The exchange has been paid. The debt has been rolled out. And it's a beautiful, marvelous grace where he has granted his righteousness to us. And that as soon as we add one step to receive that grace, then we have undercut grace. So in the Lord's Supper, what we're doing is not receiving Christ. That's not what we're doing. We're not receiving grace that's being infused to us. We are celebrating a grace that has radically transformed us. This is the biblical understanding. Let me be clear here. How and how should we view the Lord's Supper? It is a symbolic meal that reflects salvation. A symbolic meal that reflects salvation. In other words, there's no indication in the scriptures, in John 6 or the letters, that his body and blood are physically present in the Lord's Supper. Even in the context of Luke 22, which we will go over in a moment, he says, this is my body and this is my blood. And that word is used many times. It means represents. This represents my body. This represents my blood. And in the same way, Jesus loved to use pictures, didn't he? He said, I'm the door. He said, I'm the vine. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the light. 
and is a much deeper representation of a glorious reality. He's saying, this is my body. I'm right in front of you. The disciples, I mean, to be very silly with it, the disciples did not go all Jeffrey Dahmer on Jesus and start gnawing on his legs and gnawing on his arms because he said, this is my body, take eat. They didn't cut his throat and drink his blood. I know that's really simplifying it, being silly with it, but you have to be clear in your terms. Christian, you are saved not by what you do, not by partaking of the Lord's Supper, not by your baptism. You are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by His grace alone, for His glory alone, as the Scripture alone tells you. Nothing more, nothing less. That's it. And the picture is this. The bread represents the body. The cup represents the blood. The symbolic meal reflects salvation. And what we do in the Lord's Supper is not being done to earn salvation, is not to munch on Jesus or drink down Jesus. It is to celebrate salvation, and that's what we're seeing in the Scriptures. Well, Pastor, how could you say such things? Friends, we have to be clear. For me, not to be clear is to practice spiritual malpractice. We have to be clear in this. People spilt their own blood defending these things to the grave. Not that they fought necessarily, although some did. But we have to be clear on this point. So who should partake of the Lord's Supper? It is believers. Where? It should be in the congregation of the local church. When? As often as we can. And then how should we understand the Lord's Supper? Now, next, why should we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Why do we celebrate? Why, why do it? I mean, we've talked about the how and the when and the where and the who and all those. But, but why? But why? Why should we celebrate? Well, first off... We should, the Lord's Supper is about remembering. Look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24. Paul tells us very clearly why we should do it. He said this, When Jesus had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, This is my body, do this in remembrance of me. And the Lord's Supper is foundationally about remembering. It's, it's primarily about when we take the bread, excuse me, we remember the body of Jesus. We remember the body, we remember the fact that God committed the ultimate act. He came down to us, he tabernacled among us, he moved in the neighborhood, whatever you want to call it, and he took on a robe of human flesh. He became a man, he suffered, he died in the body. And we remember the body of Jesus, and we remember also the blood of Jesus. When you take the cup, you remember the blood of Jesus. The blood that was shed on the cross is now sprinkled on our hearts and cleansed us applied by the Spirit that has given us access to God. And this is what we call the New Covenant. And it's so important. The Lord's Supper is not about channeling some inner Jesus. It's not about imagining. It's not about dreaming. It's not about meditating. It's about fixing our thoughts on a focus point in history. The most sad day in the world and the greatest day in the world. That on a real body that was given, that was beaten, and scourged, and spit upon, and nailed to a cross, and real blood that flowed from that cross. We fix our thoughts on that reality. We remember the sacrificial death, the wrath-filled offering of Jesus Christ, where he took on, he became, as 1 John and Hebrews and others says, the propitiation, the the go-between, the absorber of our sins. And it's the same picture in the Passover, when the Old Covenant they would have the Passover meal and they, they would remember the night when they put the blood on the, on the doorposts of their homes and God would pass over and he would not bring judgment on them. And they remembered every year the Jewish people did. Every time they celebrated, they looked back and said, yes, 
God delivered us by the blood of the Lamb from underneath His judgment. But Jesus now says, this is a cup of a new covenant. And you remember, look back and remember, Jesus says, on what I did for you. The once and for all sacrifice on Calvary's cross. Remember, concretely, the body and blood of Jesus. Fix your thoughts on the cross. Fix your thoughts on the love that God so loved you with when he died on that cross. Romans 5 says, you might die for a good man, even a righteous man, but Jesus died for us that while we were yet sinners, he gave his life for us. But it's not only to remember. Why do we do it? We do it to remember. We also do it to reflect. I mean, what else do we do? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven tells us, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So a person ought to examine himself. And that's the key term. Verse 28, examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. It's a very serious thing. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. I mean, did you catch that? This isn't like falling asleep in a sermon or, you know, like many of you all are. You, 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 you have kids or you remember those days. You put your kids to bed and you're like, yeah, let's watch a show. And five minutes in, you're both passed out. You know, it's not that type of sleep. He says, some of you are weak and sick and have died because you did not treat the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. That's strong. Paul's words. And parents, that's strong enough for us to remember that when the bread and cup are passed or handed out in cups or whatever we do in these days with covid it's not to say to your child, well, you haven't believed in Jesus, but just go ahead and take that. You need to practice. No. This is why every single person, including myself, before we take that bread or cups, needs to seriously ask the question, why are we celebrating the Lord's Supper? I mean, what is going on here? Reflecting on our sin, there's nothing casual about that. This is not another routine we check off. It's not just something we do because we're Christians, although that's part of it. It's nice we did that. No, it's a reflection. And it often involves a deep confession of sin, a deep confession of sin. As we're looking to the cross in remembrance and remembering what Jesus did all those many years ago, as we look, we don't see some distant relationship to us. We see on the cross our sin, our sin on Jesus and before the cross is something done for us, we must see the cross as something done by us. And that is a representation in all the horror that is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is a representation of our sin, my sin, your sin, our sin, the world's sin. It's, that we're recall it's not just that we're recalling, not just our sin in general, but we're recalling our specific sins. Even in the morning that we partake of the supper, it's the images we've looked at on the internet or TV. It's the actions we've taken, that misspoken word to a family member. It's the bitterness we've filled. It's the gossip we've consumed. It's the way we've indulged in wealth and ignored the poor. It's all those times we had chances to share the gospel, but, but, but we sinfully walked the other way. So in the Lord's Supper, we reflect on our sin. We examine ourselves. It's why it's such a serious thing. We examine ourselves. But the beauty of it is, guys, it doesn't stop there. Because we see the cross, we see the seriousness of our sin reflected on the cross, but we don't just reflect on our sin. We don't just stay in the pit of despair. We Don't miss this. We reflect on our sin, but we also reflect and take it a step further. We also reflect in the Lord's Supper on His promises. As you confess your sins, your sins are brought to the forefront. 
What happens in the Lord's Supper and this picture of the blood of Christ in our hearts, he reminds us, he says, covered. Sin comes to your mind and Jesus says, covered, done, paid in full. Oh yeah, that sin over there, stamp, paid in full. It's covered, it's covered, it's covered. But Lord, you don't realize how horrible my sin is. Child, it's covered. Think about it. All the vile images we looked at across the room for those who are in Christ are covered. All the hurtful words, all the bitterness in our hearts, every single thing we've done in dishonoring our God, disobedience to God, innately offensive to God is covered, covered, covered. He's covered it all, Jesus has. And we reflect on the reality that brings us to our knees. Now, don't miss this. You don't get to the beauty until you get to the seriousness of the reflection. You need to reflect on your sin. You need to remember and confess your sin to the Lord. And, and as we say in our church, we take a, just a brief moment or two to, to exhort those in our congregation who need to reconcile one to another because like that opening illustration, those fake people we talked about, there could be people in the church who've had bitterness against another person for years about something so petty they don't even remember what it was about. And so he says, he is faithful and just, 1 John 1, 9, to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, if, it says, if we confess our sins. So we feast on his forgiveness because he looks at us and says, your sins are no more. I remember them no more. I've taken them as far as the east is from the west. And you don't realize, Lord, what I did this week, even this morning. But Jesus says, no, I look at you. My child, and all I see is the righteousness that I've given to you. You're clothed in it, and I remember your sins no more. Friends, we not only feast on his forgiveness, we also feast on his faithfulness. As you remember him, he reminds us. As, as we're reminded of him, he says, you're mine. You're bought with a price. You're mine, Jesus says. Now we're feasting on his promises. We're feasting on his forgiveness, but we also feast on his faithfulness. I mean, don't miss this. This is why the Lord's Supper is a meal for believers only because the reality is if you've not trusted Christ, then you have nothing to feast on. You have not trusted in the blood of Christ to cover your sin, then you stand guilty before Him. You stand under His judgment, not covered, not covered with nothing covered, deserving His judgment. And that's why, Christian, you feast at the Lord's Supper on His faithfulness. Because despite your sin... Despite whatever you brought to the table in those days, he looks at you and says, because I love you, because I'm faithful, I've forgiven you. Friend, but if you're not a Christian in this moment, you need to be covered for your sin. You need to turn once again to the Lord Jesus Christ who busted out of that grave, who resurrected from the dead. And he and he alone can save you. So we renew our commitment to Christ. We feast on his, his forgiveness, his faithfulness, but we also Renew our commitment to Christ. If you see areas of disobedience in your life and impurity in your life, although you see them covered by the blood of Christ, you don't run out right after that and continue in disobedience. You, you turn from those things. And the Lord's Supper pauses you, if you will, in a moment. And it makes sense because you then renew your commitment to Christ. Not to be saved again, not to walk an aisle again, not to, not to, uh, you know, to, to, to be called a Christian again. But the Lord's Supper focuses you back on what's really important in life. To do what 1 Corinthians 10.31 says. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so this is what it says. 
But we also renew not only our commitment to Christ, we also renew our commitment to each other, to Christ and to each other. This is where we're going to come back to the importance of the body of Christ. It's so huge. Even the picture of the table fellowship, it's, it's just so huge. We don't feel the weight of it, but, but Jews and Gentiles of that day came together at the table of the Lord's Supper. And in many contexts around the world, uh, one cup, there's a common cup that they share. But one thing we are is we are a body. We are a family. And it supersedes even our blood ties physically. We have such a hard time grasping that, but the beauty of the New Testament Christian is this, is that we have a common cup, not necessarily a physical one, but we share in the body of Christ together across the world. We call it the universal church. And there's a brother or sister in this faith family that you harbor bitterness towards or that you have an ill word towards or you haven't reconciled with, or if they've sought to, to seek reconciliation, if you have not forgiven them and received that forgiveness, I would say it needs to be dealt with before partaking of the Lord's Supper. Jesus teaches us about worship in Matthew 5. He says, leave your offering there and go and be reconciled to your brother. And then afterwards, come and offer your gift. And the whole of the Lord's Supper is to promote unity. Remember what Paul said, 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen. He said, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. Tyreview, we've been very blessed that we know that this church has been very unified during this COVID time, but let's not take that for granted. As we partake of the Lord's Supper, may you remember that you're renewing, in a sense, your commitment to Christ and to each other. And also, you're renewing your commitment to His mission. You're renewing your commitment to His mission. First, the Lord's Supper is a proclamation. It says in verse 26 that we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Lord's Supper is not just eating and drinking. The Lord's Supper is proclaiming. When we take it, even to go along with what we're talking about in the body of Christ, it transcends all ethnic, all racial, all social, economic barriers. We proclaim we are one body, but from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and we are united together. And in Luke 24, 47 to 49, Jesus has died so that the repentance and forgiveness of sins may be preached in his name. So as we're renewing our commitment to Christ in the supper, as we're renewing our commitment to each other, we are also renewing our commitment to the mission he gave us to go and do. We are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We are rejuvenating ourselves with the focus that this world is not our home. There are literally millions of people who've never heard the gospel. Even our neighbors, even our family, even our co-workers, even those people we thought we knew. There are people who you, whom you know that do not know Christ. And as you partake of the Lord's Supper, what Paul is saying is you are renewing that focus. Yes, there's a lot of important things to do in the Christian life. And we can evangelize to the exclusion of other commands of our Lord, but don't exclude evangelization, sharing the gospel on the, on the opposite side too. It's, you have to be faithful in it as well. So as you partake of the supper, feast on his forgiveness, feast on his faithfulness, renew your commitment to Christ, renew your commitment to each other, but also renew the commitment to the mission that we proclaim his death until he comes. 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, Paul said, I knew nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. But it also leads to this. We get to rejoice. The Lord's Supper is not a funeral dirge. It should be a serious and somber thing. But we also get to rejoice. We rejoice because He has set us free. He has set us free. Why? Because He has forgiven us of our sins. 
And that's the deal here, folks, is that he has completely forgiven us of our sins. We are not at a funeral. Jesus isn't dead anymore. He's not. He's not going back about what we're talking about. He's not going to go back and renege on his word. He's not being sacrificed over and over and over again. He's been sacrificed once for all. He's come to bring salvation. He's accomplished that. It is finished. And as we seriously contemplate our sin, we bring it before, we reflect on the promises, we realize we're not in Egypt anymore, so to speak. We have been set free. You are no longer a slave to sin. So we don't need to walk out of the Lord's Supper looking all gloomy like our, 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 our father just passed away. We're not enslaved to sin. We're not enslaved to things of the world or to ourselves. We are sons and daughters of God. And as Galatians 4 says, we can cry, Abba, Father. We are freed from our sin. We are no longer under the power, dominion, or penalty of sin. But he not only sets us free, we not only proclaim his death, we renew our commitment to him, each other, and the mission, but finally we proclaim that he is coming back. That Jesus is going to return. Now, we know not the day or the hour, and uh, my Facebook feed a couple years, or three years ago now, came up a few days ago, and I guess on September, I think, 23rd of 2017, or somewhere around there, uh, someone had predicted, as many do, that Jesus is going to come back, and of course, it passed without any result of that. We know not the day or the hour when Jesus is coming, but like Revelation 19.6 says, it will go like this. John writing, he says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him the glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands, John says, for the righteous acts of the saints. And then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added this, these are the, word, the true words of God. Revelation 19, 6 and 7. Brothers and sisters, as we close, when we take the cup, and we drink of the cup together, we're looking back and remembering our Lord. But we're also anticipating the day when we will share the cup with our risen Lord. Revelation 22.4 says we will see him face to face. And when we are united with a great multitude that is roaring like peals of thunder in celebration for what Christ has done, we drink and, and, and eat in honor of him. And that's why the Lord's Supper is so significant. It's, it's essential to New Testament worship. We cannot be a church and not partake of the Lord's Supper. It shows us that everything has changed and that we are now in joyful awe of what is God is making among us. It's what the New Testament has said. Do this, do this, come together and show the community that you are saved by the blood of Christ and transformed by his sacrifice. We know the who is only for believers. We know the when as often as we can. The where of the Lord's Supper is in the context of the church. The, the, the how, it's, it's not eating Christ or drinking Christ's blood. It's a symbolic representation of what he has done. And the why, we're refocusing on the mission. We're recommitting to him and each other. We are feasting on his forgiveness and his faithfulness. We're remembering what he has done. But we also remember that he's coming back. Friends, this is the gospel. This is what unites us. If this doesn't excite you now, I would question whether you're really going to be excited for it in heaven. This is what it's all about. And Christian, especially Tower View members, you're watching this, as, as many of you are at home watching this, we, 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 we will miss you today. 
Because about the time you're finishing this sermon, we will we'll probably be partaking in the Lord's Supper together in person. We know there's a lot of grace that needs to be extended in these days, but can I ask you as we close, are you more fearful of a virus? Take precautions. Be safe. Don't spread things. Follow health instructions. Please hear me clearly. But friends, if, if, if you're going to Walmart and you're going out to eat and you're going to see your friends, but you're not coming to fellowship with your local church, you need to check your spiritual heartbeat. We love you. I mean, no shame in that. We need to extend grace. And it's not just about the physical gathering. We know there's special circumstances. But I would encourage you. I would edify you. I would be remiss in my duty as pastor not to remind you that online is not the physical gathering of the church. It's a helpful aid in times like these, but it's not the physical gathering. Friend, if you're able to come, we encourage you to come. Not for numbers sake. We're not asking for your offering. We want you to come to celebrate all we talked about today together. That's what it's about. I don't say that to guilt you. I don't say that to make you feel bad. I don't want you to do anything that's going to put your health or your life in jeopardy. But if you're able to go other places and you're willing to go other places, but you're not willing to come to church, even outside in your car and drive in church, friends, there's something off about that. And I need to say that because there's coming a time where you're going to have to make a decision. Am I ready for Christ or am I ready for just something else? And friend, you be careful. Don't let COVID take your relationship with Christ away. We love you. You're always welcome here. Take and do what's best and wise for you, but don't let fear keep you away from the body of Christ, especially in partaking of the Lord's Supper. Socially distant, of course, in these days. We love you all so much. Let's pray together as we close. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Father, we pray in all things that you are lifted high, you are glorified. Father, for those watching, give great wisdom. For those without Christ, draw them to Christ. For those who need to take a step of faith, Lord, in whatever way you've called them to, then do it for your glory. But we thank you most of all for that once and for all sacrifice of your son, our Savior Jesus, who gave his life for us. Lord, we love you so much. You truly are the way, the truth, and life. Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, Zoroaster, Baha'u'llah, you name it, Lord, they're dead in the grave, but your son lives. And because of that, we know we can face tomorrow. Lord, we love you so much. We pray all this today in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for watching. We really appreciate it. As, as you're visiting with us again, my name is Darren Smith, pastor here at Tower View Baptist Church. We love you all so much. Have a great day. God bless, and we'll see you on Sunday. Bye-bye.